Welcome to Hydrate Level 4. I'm your host, Peter. I'm Nicholas Phoenix. And today we are discussing the 1995 fantasy adventure Jumanji. It's directed by Joe Johnston, and it stars Robin Williams, Bonnie Hunt, Kirsten Dunst, Jonathan Hyde, and Bradley Pierce. When two kids find and play a magical board game, they release a man trapped for decades in it and a host of dangers that can only be stopped by finishing the game. All right, let's get it. All right, well, listeners, it's been about three weeks. Uh, we were on a very short hiatus. Um, Phoenix has started high school, so how's that been, sir? It has been very good. Uh, not too much homework uh, yeah. until probably about the future. Yeah, you've attended uh, two football games recently, and so that was new for you this year. Mm-hmm. And you got a big dance coming up, so that's cool. Well, me, I've also been uh, a little busy with work. Um, I am uh, a trainer, also instructor at work, so I've been giving some classes and training some new people at work, so I've been super busy with that, and we've been unable to, um, you know, get our schedules to kind of line up so we can do these movies. Um, so, yeah, so today we're doing Jumanji. Now, Joe Johnston, do you recognize that? name at all the director no i don't uh his first movie was honey i shrunk the kids mm. and then he did uh some others that you probably know um jurassic park 3 he did that and more uh more recently he did captain america first avenger so, so some okay movies but just not great or you know bad well you know i guess that's all the opinion of you know, uh, who you ask, really, because I really enjoyed Captain America. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is, you know, I think it's really good. Um, and Robin Williams, you obviously know. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, this is one of her earlier movies. Um, Bonnie Hunt, are you, do you know her at all? No, I don't. She is in a movie that I eventually want to do in um, Jerry Maguire. She's in there. Um, yeah, it doesn't really appear... Um, to be a lot of movies that I think you would even know her from because of these movies but there was um, I don't know if it was a rumor or in the works but I think she was supposed to actually write a sequel to Mrs. Doubtfire so I don't really have any other details on that but I remember seeing her name attached to that for the longest time um, and then the the, uh, the kid who plays uh, Peter I, I don't know him in anything else when I first saw his picture I thought he was uh, Bill Murray he looks old, <laughs> and, the, and the guy is only five months older than me. Yeah, he looks really old. Um, and again, I, I don't know him from anything else. Uh, Kirsten Dunst is also... Um, Kirsten Dunst, who plays his older sister, is actually, I think, four or five months older than him in real life. Uh, so when this movie came out, I was, what, 12 years old? So both of those actors were just um, um, slightly older than me by about a year. Okay, so let's get into it. The movie starts up, uh, and it opens up in the forest, and it's at night. Uh, two boys are riding on their horses, and they come to a stop, and they try to bury something in a chest. Uh, you hear some drumming coming from the inside, I suppose, and one of the kids slips um, in the hole that they're digging, and he says that it's coming to get him. Um, the other kid helps him out, and, and they bury it. 
the little one asks, um, what if someone finds it? And the other kid responds, may God have mercy on their soul. What did you think of that line? It's a very ominous line that this character uses just to set the tone of the story. Yeah, exactly. So it sets the tone that uh, we don't know what's to come. Um, it's usually something you would find in a like a, a kid's horror movie, like uh, the Goosebumps series or something of that nature, I'd imagine. Um, so they ride off, and we see a sign that reads, uh, Brantford, one mile. And then we cut to 1969, Brantford, New Hampshire. Uh, we meet a kid riding on his bike through town, and everyone's calling him by the name of Alan. So, uh, either it's a small town where everyone knows each other, which is probably what it is, or everyone just knows him because of what we find out is that, um, he's part of the Parrish family, and... They own a shoe business or a shoe factory business. So he's minding his own business. He's riding his bike. And a group of kids are apparently, they've been waiting for him. Um, so they chase him all on bikes. And he rides over to his dad's shoe uh, factory. And then they leave him. Basically, they call him a coward for running to his dad. Um, he goes inside and we meet Carl, played by David Allen Greer. Do you know who he is? The name sounds familiar to me, but... Not even the not... face, though? Mm, no. He He's in one of my favorite uh, guilty pleasures called Blank Man, where him and his uh, brother, his brother is kind of... He's not mentally challenged, but he's super slow. Um, and they become, you know, kind of crime fighters. It's a really silly movie, but uh, David Allen Greer... Um, I don't know where he got his start exactly, but the first time I saw him was on a show called In Living Color, which is kind of like Saturday Night Live, and that's where Jim Carrey also started. So I know him from a lot of that stuff, so he's a comedian. But uh, David Allen Greer plays a, a man named Carl who works for the Parish uh, Shoe Company, and he is working on, I don't know, I guess the first pair of sneakers, um, or at least that was going to be worn in this town, because uh, he says that uh, if he can get Wilt Chamberlain to wear them, like, everybody would end up wearing them or something. Um, but then we immediately meet Alan's dad, who is played by... Jonathan Hyde. Jonathan Hyde, right. Do you, I, I asked you before if you recognized him, but do you know him from anything we've watched? No, I don't. He was in Titanic. He was the, guy who was, he was the man who not designed the ship, but he was... Um, they kind of put the blame on him as he's the reason as to why the Titanic went down. He uh, challenged the the captain to what make the engines go faster or something. You know, um, he was telling the captain, "Hey, um, you know, why don't you retire with a bang? You know, be on the front page for for arriving to port early or something." So he kind of challenges the, the captain to, you know, push the engines, which ultimately when they hit the ice and uh, they weren't able to slow down in time so no still no nope okay all right well anyway so uh his dad comes in and he sees that alan had been had alan been beat up at this point not yet he was chased there yeah he was just chased um and so he his dad figures out that a kid named billy uh, billy jessup had been chasing him um and i guess it's happened before uh, and his dad, you know, is basically telling him to man up, you know, stop running away. And Carl is looking outside, and, you know, he sees that there's a bunch of kids uh, outside waiting. And so he's being distracted by that, 
and Alan, no, yeah, Alan puts Carl's shoe on this conveyor belt, which the belt starts running, and then it ruins the machine. Uh, the shoe comes out, and Carl's basically the one to blame. Um, so Alan goes outside, and the kids come back, and we find out uh, that this Billy Jessup, he doesn't like Alan because Alan's been, I guess, hanging out with his girlfriend, uh, which Alan says that they're just friends. Um, so did, I missed this part because I was taking the notes, but did Billy hit him? Well, what happened? How did he get the bloody lip and stuff? I believe a boy or someone around him pushed him over and they all started beating him up at once. Okay. Yeah, so he's got the bloody lip and then he... Is it here? Okay, he's riding his bike and then he hears the drumming, right? Kind of in the middle of town? Yes. Okay. Uh, because... Well, it wasn't towards the middle of town. When he when he sees Sarah later, the other protagonist in this story... Uh, he says to her that he found it near the factory, so it was probably like right next to there. Okay, so so he was just leaving the the the, the factory and um, yeah, runs into this construction area where you know they're digging like a, a big hole or something. So he hears the drumming and he goes inside the hole and he um, kind of digs through the through the wall um, to get to. Basically, he's hearing the drummings, right? And so he finds his chest, he pulls it out, and right here he opens it up, right? Opens up the chest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he opens up the chest and he finds that it's uh, what appears to be a board game called Jumanji. Uh, now, did you look up what this means, what this word means? I didn't know. It didn't come to my mind. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's I, I guess it's a Zulu word for many effects, uh, which alludes to the exciting consequences of the game uh, as mentioned in the film. Uh, and then he brings it home and checks out the box uh, he's looking at the token pieces, and, and he gets startled by his mom. And then the pieces just, how do you describe this movie? They just automatically go over to the starting points of the board game, right? Um, his parents are, in the next scene, his parents are getting ready to leave somewhere. They're kind of dressed up, and uh, they kind of have a talk with him. And um, his dad apologizes for his behavior earlier because he was, you know, kind of rude to him. And uh, he's proud that he tried to take on these boys even though he was outnumbered. Because uh, I guess, you know, he thought that it was just Billy Jessup, which, um, I, guess, I don't know, I guess that's why his dad was telling him to man up, because it was just, you know, mano y mano kind of thing. Um, but they want to send him to uh, the Cliffside School for Boys or something like that. Like a... Um, like kind of like a private school for boys. It is. But it, that, that's what it's called, yeah. Yeah, that's what exactly, that's, that's what it is. And uh, he's he's not happy about it because he thinks basically they're uh, kicking him out of the house. And so they leave. Oh, actually, um, Alan's like yelling at his dad and stuff, right? He's basically cutting them off because he's he's so upset. He says that he's not going to talk to them and all these things. And How come? How come what? Why? How come? Why is he yelling at them? Oh, because he feels like they're kicking him out. Mm. You know, that's what he said. Uh, so his um, so Sarah shows up at the door. Uh, who's uh, Sarah is Billy's girlfriend, and she is returning his bike, and he's kind of a jerk about it. And, you know, um, questions why she's even there. Uh, but then we hear the drumming, and Alan finds out that Sarah can hear it as well. And he asks her if she wants to play, which she shows uh, some disinterest in. Um, but she she, she she rolls her dice anyway, right? And then her token, uh, like 
Uh, they they think it's magnets or something. Well, she didn't throw it right away. Oh, she just drops it because she's like, well, I'm not going to play yeah. this. Yeah, so she just drops it on the board, and then um, the token moves for her. And um, I didn't write down what any of the things were, but on her roll, bats show up. They don't show up right oh, away, mind they, you. They make some noise yes, right up in the attic, noise. which kind of scared the kids, yeah. Uh, then Alan takes the, what's plural for dice? Is it dies? Dice. Or is it just, it's there's die. no S? No. Just die? just die? Okay. So Alan uh, takes the die and gets startled when the clock goes off conveniently. And he drops the die and rolls eight, right? Well, it doesn't matter. It uh, really doesn't matter. Now, now, this one is the only one I remember because it's brought up a couple times in the movie. But in the jungle, you must wait until the dice reads five or eight. And then how do you, how would you describe what's happening to him? His fingers kind of start... Um, if you've ever watched Spider-Man 3, first of all, I feel sorry for you, but it's kind of like the scene where Mark Flint is turned into sand the very first time. It's almost parallel to that, where his sand, or his fingers start turning into sand and going into the wind, which is the board game. Okay, so yeah, he disappears into the, uh, disappears into the game, and then this is when suddenly a bunch of bats, they come flying through the door... And attacks Sarah, chases her out of the house, basically. And then, um, so when she is chased out of the house, the doors close by themselves. And then we get a transition to the doors 26 years later, later, and now it's 1995. Um, A lady named Nora and her niece and nephew come look at a house. And I guess they want to turn it into a bed and breakfast. Uh, we find out that these kids, their parents had just recently passed away, and Peter does uh, doesn't talk much, and um, and Judy is a compulsive liar. Uh, she's telling the realtor this story about her parents going on these exotic trips and and how they died, which she uh, embellishes, I suppose. Uh, but Nora, she is um, trying to get into this room. I think later that evening, but uh, the door is locked. What was it? The um, like the door that leads up to the stairway to the attic or something? I don't even remember her struggling with the door. Yeah, she was trying to open up this door and she couldn't get into it. I I think it's the um, like the stairway that leads up to the attic because because then the next day, um, that's when Peter and Judy were up in the attic with the uh, I'm assuming a guy from Animal Control, right? Because because she I think was able to get the door open finally and saw a bat or was scared by a bat because she slams the door right. I think that was Judy. It was Nora. Oh, okay. I'm p- positive on that because because Judy um, she believes Peter about the bats, but uh, the, yeah. So the next day they're they're with the this guy with animal control, and he says that there's no, uh, he doesn't see any guano. Do you know what guano is? Is that a type of lizard? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a bat poop. <laughs> And I know that from this uh, um, Jim Carrey movie called Ace Ventura, he has a, a fear of bats. And there's one scene where he's eating out of a pottery that was uh, they used guano to make it. So so he stopped eating. It's just like was disgusted by it. That that may be one we do too. That's like really like dumb funny, but classic Jim Carrey movie. Uh, anyway, the guy tells um, tells Judy that. Uh, he hasn't heard of anyone uh, claiming that they've seen these African bats since the uh, the 60s. And 
he says that he wouldn't live in a house where someone was murdered. And then he goes into telling the story about Alan uh, being chopped up by his dad and, and buried in the walls or something. Um, so and then we cut to they're having dinner, I think, right? Um, and I guess Nora had to go see the principal and it was only their first day of school. Uh, Judy tells Nora uh, about the story that the man told her. And then she gets sent to her room because Nora thinks she's lying again. Um, and then Judy says that, you know, it wasn't a lie. So we cut to Peter and Judy in the room, and they're both in, in their beds. And we find out that Peter does indeed talk, but probably only to Judy. Um, and she again lies uh, to Peter when asked if she misses her parents. And then they hear the drumming. Uh, did they go to sleep right after the drumming? Because the drumming stops, right? I believe they go back to sleep after the drumming stops. Okay. I don't know for a fact. Okay. Uh, but the next day, they're getting ready for school, um, pro- probably the second day now, I guess, and then they hear their drums again. And Nora's talking to them, but they completely ignore her because they're just super distracted by this. Um, but she leaves, and they go upstairs, and then they find the game. They open it up, and they find that uh, um, the token, the two tokens that are already on it won't budge, and they think it's like microchips or something. So I think it... it um, to hear the contrast with, uh, you know, Alan and Sarah thinking it was magnets, and now in 95, Peter and Judy think it's microchips. Uh, but Judy rolls, and she, um, her thing, they get bees. Was was there anything special about the, the scene with the bees? Uh, no, but... They, they just came kind of quick, right? They, yes, they came through the window and just... They weren't precisely bees. They were more like locusts. Bees are small, and these would... Like giant mosquitoes. Aren't locusts flowers? No. There's lotus. Lotus are flowers. Lotus. <laughs> okay, and then Peter rolls, and then he um, a bunch of monkeys show up, not in the attic, but in the kitchen. So they go down uh, to the kitchen, open up the door, and see a bunch of monkeys throwing things around and stuff. And I guess they just leave the monkeys there. I think the monkeys just charge out of the kitchen. Yeah, because they do uh, leave the house, and I know that the kids kind of look out the window and see that. So, uh, this was uh, worth mentioning because Peter rolled a six. It was two threes. And um, one of the rules, it's, uh, it states basically if you get doubles, you go again. So, Peter is forced um, to roll again, which now it brings a lion into the attic, um, which kind of scare them. Now, um, earlier, Alan rolled uh, on his turn, and he got sent to the jungle, and it read he has to wait there until somebody rolls a five or eight. So Robin Williams goes running after the lion and chases it away. And I call him that because he was totally being Robin Williams, as he does in a lot of movies. Um, so he's looks like a caveman. He's got uh, long hair. He's got the beard. He's wearing, like, uh, a bunch of clothes that he had to fabricate out of, you know, things he can find in the jungle. Uh, but I kind of like this. Um, okay, so you had Sarah go the first time, which wasn't by choice. And then... Uh, Alan went right and then you have Judy go and then they have this rule about Peter having to roll again because he had doubles why do you suppose that that was even a thing like why did Peter have to go again what do you mean by that because uh, on his first roll he got the lion why why do you think um, they had to bring in a lion just to bring him uh, just to have Peter roll again and that's what brings Alan back from the jungle. You see what I'm saying? No, not really. Like, why did why there 
why did he have to even roll again? Why couldn't that roll from Peter bring out Alan? Oh, you think the lion was just something to ring in for suspense or something? Yeah, like so, that? so the, well, not for suspense, but that was definitely a purpose, a, a, definitely a writing choice. Like, I kind of appreciate that because, like, okay, well, because um, Sarah can't roll, right? And the bees thing, that's not really a... Uh, like a threat, right? No, no, definitely a threat. It, it is. They but had like ninety-eight patients in the hospital. Uh, fifty. No, ninety-eight. Okay, maybe in the hospital, but fifty were stung. Well, they said over the and that's over fifty now. They specifically said the when word Nora 50. was uh, first encountered the stampede on the mm. radio, I said over ninety-eight patients. Oh, I see. Okay, I'm thinking about the ambulance scene. No, no. Yeah. Okay. So. I, I get that they're they're definitely threatening, but in the scene with just the these locuses, um, it wasn't something that Alan would be able to show up and just take care of, right? So I, I mm-hmm. feel that's why they wrote in. Well, Peter needs to go again because then then it would be Sarah's turn, right? And Alan needs to already be back, you know, from the jungle. You see what I'm trying to say? Oh yes. Yeah. yeah so I think that's kind of cool that they they even put that little detail in that there's a rule that somebody has to roll again. So that kind of um, so when when Peter rolls a five the second time, that brings Alan back, and then now now he's chasing off the lion because that's probably something that he had to do in the jungle. So or he could have they could have just not written in the locusts at all. They didn't really do anything except true. make people sick all over. Yeah, and and that that kind of explains what kind of happens later on. I guess it, it's just a bunch of you know just another thing really. So but that's a good point. Maybe I don't know how much the story would change. Maybe little, maybe not, maybe a whole lot. But yeah, if um, Judy's role brought the lion, and then Peter's, well, well, what about this? What if Judy did bring in the lion? Now, now they're kind of scared away by the lion, right? And they're not going to continue playing the game. What do you think? Because if they're being chased, I mean, that's why they even asked Alan to stay with them in the first place to to help them fight off things, right? Well, I mean, why did they write in the locusts in the first place? It could have been anything. It just I I think Judy just needed to go, because because uh, something had to be brought, and then the lion is almost like an instant threat, and then um, I I don't know how they even got the got the extra time to like oh hey you rolled double so you got to go again, um, because the lion is there so I don't know, yeah but I I think it's cool in my opinion. Uh, Wait, so he rolled a six and the lion came out. With Alan? Don't you mean he rolled a five? Okay, uh, six was the line because it was doubles, three and three. So the second roll was five or eight. I, I think it, it was, was def- a five. It was definitely five. It wasn't an eight. Okay. But, so he rolled once. It was a line. Yes. Had to go again because it was doubles. Right. And then and then that brings out Alan. Unless I'm, am I getting it wrong? I feel like you are. I feel like he got a five and the monkeys. Out. The monkeys. The the locust is first. The monkey. Okay, no. See, um, no. I got it. Okay, I I uh, I jacked it up. Yeah, you did. Okay, so the the locusts came, and then the monkeys. Okay, and then he had to roll again. Rolling five instantly brings out Alan, but his that turn brought the lion. Mm-hmm. There we go. Okay, so well, maybe you should have corrected me earlier on. I did. Okay, so. So, Robin Williams chases the lion away, uh, 
He sniffs the air and smells uh, like an odor coming from the inside of this closet. He opens up the door and Judy and Peter are hiding in there. And they all scream and he slams the door. Um, then it cuts to uh, Alan uh, realizes that he's back home. And we spend a few minutes of him kind of looking around. And the house is you know completely different. It's just looking at a bunch of different things. Um, then the kids come into the room and the first thing he says is someone rolled to five or eight. And Judy just like immediately points to Peter and says, "Oh, it's him." And and Alan just goes nuts. You know, he thanks him, then he apologizes for scaring him, and he puts Peter down and starts running around the house. And he's looking for his parents. Uh, he thinks that they're his younger siblings, and she says no, and just kind of um, told him like what she has heard, uh, basically about the family and stuff like that. Uh, we cut to Carl from earlier, who is now a cop. Uh, he's getting a call from dispatch, and uh, I guess they're telling him about the monkeys, and uh, he almost hits Alan, who's now standing in the middle of the street, but he, he jumps up um, on top of the hood just in time, um, and he finds out that it's 1995, and he looks at uh, Carl's um, name badge, and it says C. Bentley, so he's kind of repeating the name over and over because it's kind of uh, familiar to him, uh, and then Judy gives another elaborate lie to explain Alan's appearance. Um, you know, says that he's been in uh, in Jumanji, Indonesia. Um, you know, to kind of explain his long hair and the way he looks and stuff. But uh, the monkeys come up from out of nowhere and climb into Carl's uh, police vehicle and fire a shotgun through the roof. Uh, Alan takes this chance to kind of run away. Uh, he's running around town and goes over to his dad's shoe factory to find out that it's been uh, basically shut down. You know, quite some time ago. Um, how long do you think it's been since it's uh, closed down? Mm, let's say 20 years because you think so? there's a homeless man living in there that says uh, after a few years, what's the dad's first name? I'm just going to say Mr. Parrish, yeah, put, Mr. Parrish. He, he said Mr. Parrish put everything he had into looking for his son. So uh, eventually he just stopped caring. So I'm going to say six years, so 20 years maybe. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I mean... Um, having a child disappear, especially like that, you know, with Sarah's story going around town, that's that's got to be, you know, it's got to be something. And you know, I, I can see that six years, and then he kind of just lets the the company kind of kind of go downhill on his own because he's you know unmotivated to come to work and all that stuff. Uh, but I'm surprised, even like after let's say it's been twenty years, that they haven't even torn it down. But maybe because this is such a like like a small town, and then the the parish uh, legacy's kind of been around that they kind of just left it as like a um, what is it call it like, like a landmark kind of thing. I wouldn't think they would even do that because if it was more of a landmark, they wouldn't leave it in such a dump state as it was. And and if they did, they'd probably um, have it where you can't trespass and have a hobo living in there, yeah, especially you know. with a dog. Yeah, with the dog, and I think he had a fire going too. Um, but this uh, homeless man, he does say that he's seen um, what Alan's parents every now and then. And then we cut to the cemetery, you know, so he finds out that his parents are both dead, uh, which Judy takes this um, moment to tell him that um, that basically they lost theirs too. And then we hear sirens, which at first I thought that uh, it was like the, the monkeys riding in the ambulance, but it, it really was an ambulance, and it um, 
it and an oncoming car, uh, they kind of collide, right? And so the, mer- uh, the paramedic jumps out and he goes over to check the driver and realize that it's another person with, you know, one of those weird bites. And this is when we find out that uh, that makes it over 50. Uh, but Judy recognized the lady um, as being the, the realtor from, you know, a couple days ago who sold them the house. Um, so they find out that it was the locusts. Um, it's it's really strong, right? Because um, doesn't whose car do they get into? Do, do they get into that lady's car? Oh yeah, because yeah, because they, they, uh, the paramedics take the lady out. Um, so and Alan and Judy and Peter, yeah, they hop into the car. Like okay, so this is weird. Immediately mm-hmm. after the woman crashes, the paramedics, you know, they run into her car for some reason, and the cops are there. There's like three cars there, I think. I'm just wondering why the cops and the paramedics would let Alan and the kids into the car because it shouldn't be like a crime scene in uh, a way. Well, it's, it's, it's not a crime scene just because, um, you know, it's just it's just an accident. And they're obviously a little bit more um, their priority is to get this lady to the hospital because it is something that they they have been seeing. Uh, I, I don't think there was a cop there. Are you positive there was a cop there? I'm positive there? there was a cop there. Okay. Yeah. So they shouldn't have allowed the kids and everybody to get into the car. Um, they shouldn't have put the cops there because I don't think the cops would have shown up that quick. And the paramedics are already there. And as convenience, they take the, the lady out, right? They should have gone to the hospital. So... If there was cops there, then, like, um, I'm not a director, and I don't pretend to be one, but in my opinion, they shouldn't have brought the cops, because, right, that's making, you know, you and others, I'm sure, question, as like, okay, how is that even possible if there are, you know, um, authorities and what have you there? So, very valid. Um, So, they're in this car, and let's talk about the strength of these locusts. They... So the car that they're in, I think it was convertible, right? Because it had that uh, that t- top. I wouldn't necessarily say it was a convertible. I think it was just a sunroof. Okay. Well, I I think this you would clearly see though the opening if it was a sunroof. I I think it was. Um, okay. Well, the 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 stinger was able to uh, penetrate through this material, whether it was the you know the sunroof or or the um, the drop top. And they it, it even cracks the windshield too. You know, Alan thought that they were going to be pretty safe inside the vehicle, but uh, you know he's been in the jungle this whole time, so he can't drive. And, and the other two are like twelve and thirteen years old, so they can't drive either. Uh, but but I, I like this line that uh, Alan he says, "My daddy used to let me drive." Hey, no, uh, um, that his dad used to let him back out of the driveway once. So, you know, he was almost implying that he's done it before, like, a lot. But, um, so he, uh, yeah, he kind of drives, and I guess he does a good job. And luckily, it's probably an automatic, so he doesn't have to worry about shifting. And so they get back to the house, and they want to finish up Jumanji, but it scares him, right? Um, so he doesn't want to play. So he goes to the bathroom, and he's relieved that there's toilet paper, right? No more banana leaves. So it it cuts to him cutting his hair, and he's uh, singing the... The Gilligan's Island theme song. I don't know if you knew that. Um, but he comes out all clean shaven. And he has cuts all over his face, right? Because this is the first time he's shaved. Now, do you remember what Judy says to him? She makes some kind of snide remark. Did you did you use broken glass? 
to shave your face. Okay. Yeah, which to he replies, what's the matter? Did the Clampets have a yard sale? Which I'm pretty sure you don't know the reference. But the Clampets, they're um, the family from the Beverly Hillbillies. It's a role TV show that they did remake into a movie in the 90s. And then Peter uses uh, reverse psychology on Alan and says that he doesn't want to play because he's scared. Which, you know... He uh, he says, well, you know, spending all that time in the jungle and, you know, and, and basically he, he tells them, you, you know, look, you guys don't know what scared is. And so he uh, he does kind of agree to play, but with caution. Well, no, he says that he's going to watch. So um, they they take out the board and I think it was Sarah that tried to roll. No, uh, Judy. Judy tries to roll. And then nothing happens. And then they realize that the other two pieces are still there. And then Alan realizes that basically they're uh, continuing the game that him and Sarah started uh, back in 1969. So, and I like this part too, because first Alan says, uh, you're, you're playing the game that I started. And so Judy tried to hand him the die and he says, it's not my turn. And then, you know, they're like, whose turn is it? And then he goes, Sarah Whittle. So this is, um, I, again, I like the writing in this because that's how we get introduced at, okay, that's how we're going to need to go find Sarah. Because if um, if Alan already kind of knew, maybe we would question like, well, how did he know that she still had to play too? So I liked how they thought about this. What do you think? I like the way they displayed this in the movie. Uh, the writers that are pretty good job of figuring out how everything would fit together yeah i i think it went well and it wasn't so convenient or anything i thought it was really well thought out so we go to um i believe what was sarah's old uh house and there's a, a placard on the wall and it says like madam serena or something did you catch what else was in it like was she like a palm reader psychic or something? readings okay so uh they knock on the door and then a lady asks uh if they had an appointment which they said no and she says that uh, Madame Serena doesn't see anybody without an appointment. And then they go, "Well, maybe you can help us." And so she opens up the door and then I think it was Judy that says, "We're looking for someone that used to live here." And he goes and then she's like, "Well, I lived here um I don't know if she said all my life or whatever." My whole life. Okay. And then uh Alan says or Alan calls her Sarah Whittle, which she's like, "You know, I don't go by that anymore." And then Alan tells her the story of what happened 26 years ago, which then she realizes who he is, and she faints. And I, I really thought that it was going to cut to like her waking up or whatever, but it's funny because it cuts to the door opening wider, and you see the three of them standing up looking at her, and Peter's like, you killed her. <laughs> and then it ends there, so I thought that was funny. Uh, and then it cuts to Sarah calling her psychologist, and she's you know trying to remind him, hey, remember that story I told you? Well, it's happening all over again. So she doesn't even believe what's going on, um, and she thinks she's like I don't know, having like a nervous breakdown. But he presents the game to her, and it scares her. Right? She's trying to like get up, and she's like, no, I'm not having that. And but Alan tricks her into rolling the die, so um, she. She has it at this point, right? I think he gave it to her, and she's saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And then he's like, all right, fine, then, you know, I guess we'll we'll have to do it without you. So he he holds out his hand, and she tries to give it back, and then he pulls his hand back, which, you know, leaves her to drop the die. And so that's a pretty stinky kind of thing, just uh, Robin Williams' um, facial reaction. I thought it was really funny. So um, her die, they she rolls a four, and then it brings out vines. I don't think a whole lot really went on with that at this point. 
It comes back later. Yeah. Um, so we see Carl, and he finds his car, and it had been, um, I guess it, it got ran into a, a telephone pole, and dispatch is calling him conveniently because he's just now showing up, and, uh, oh, no, 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 does dispatch, oh, because he's driving now, um, yeah, they're calling him, and he's saying to have somebody else look into it because he's going back to the, uh, to the old parish house, he thinks something's going on over there, uh, so we go back inside. And Sarah is trying to make a run for it, and Alan gets her back. Uh, they have a little back and forth about who had it worse. And she was talking about how, like, on her 14th birthday, nobody showed up. And, and just how, you know, what people thought about her or saying about her, you know, because of um, the stories she was talking about, Alan disappearing and all that. And he's saying, well, you know, he was in the jungle for 26 years without his family. So they're kind of going back and forth. And then the kids, they kind of... um. Uh, they continue the game on their own, and they they basically well, the kids get them to stop, and then they kind of make a pact that they basically going to ride it out to the wheels fall off, right? They they're, they're going to get each other's back and um, all this. So it's uh, Alan's turn, and he rolls, and then we get Van Pelt. Okay, so we find well, we don't find anything out, but you see Van Pelt. Why, why don't you describe? what you thought about him when you saw this guy. Uh, how long ago do you think you saw this movie? Mm, maybe half an hour ago. Well, okay. When's the last time you saw it before to uh, tonight? Ooh, I'd have to say it's been a long time, a few years, eight years? Five years, ten years, less than five. Maybe five years, less three, than five. Three, five years. Did you remember Van Pelt in this movie? I just remember there was a hunter. I didn't know the exact name okay. or anything. So, so now being being a high schooler, like you see him, what what do you think? My first thought of him was that he looked a little bit like Theodore Roosevelt from Night of the, uh, Night of the Museum, the one with Ben Stiller. Oh, isn't that played by uh, Robin Williams? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So apparently he's a hunter, and he I guess either he hunts humans or he hunts Alan. I'm not sure which. Probably just Alan. He hunts a- a- everything, but he only hunts Alan in this movie just because Alan rolled the dice. Which he says later, and I think maybe we'll kind of bring that up again a little bit later. So Van Pelt um, chases after Alan. He goes he goes after him with the with the rifle and is you know shooting at him and stuff like that. Carl's driving and he stops because he's he uh, he hears gunshots and he tries to stop Van Pelt, but Van Pelt shoots at him and kind of holds him off a little bit. Uh, but Alan, he goes back to the house to try to continue the game. Uh, him and Sarah, they really go at it this time. And then, um, and then we get a little bit more backstory. And then Judy rolls, and then we get the stampede. Uh, what do you think of this scene about seeing all the animals and things like that? What do you think about the effects? My, okay, the effects they were they were pretty bad. But you know, this wasn't the ninety fives, and they only didn't just make CGI too long ago. So I'll give them a little bit of slack for that. But my first initial reaction was uh, the Lion King. You know, the Oh, the scene with yeah. the stampede, yeah. Well, and that's what a stampede is. But funny that you say that the graphics don't look so good because I think that they actually look pretty good for being 95. I want to say Jurassic Park came out in 93, and then this movie was supposed to be the next big thing to use the same kind of technology and, and effects uh, to you know create their species and animals and stuff like that 
So I, I, in my opinion, I thought it was actually pretty good. Um, it obviously didn't look super real, but it didn't look like bad where I'm just like, okay, that's, that's, that's really bad. You know what I mean? But uh, I guess maybe just because of your your generation, you're used to like super good graphics where an alien looks, you know, super real. Um, and then at the end of the stampede, what would you call this um, bird? It's like a giant stork. Is that what it's called, a stork? Um, when I first thought of or saw this, I just, you know, thought of Finding Nemo. Like that's, uh, that's, that's all I like thought. A seagull? Really. No, 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 the the uh, crane thing, you yeah. know, the one that carried all the fishes to the sea or something. I don't know. I haven't right. even seen Nemo in a long time. Yeah. So uh, this bird takes off with the board game, and then Alan runs after it, and then he kind of blames Peter as he's running, you know, for not grabbing it. Uh, Van Pelt he then goes to the gun shop to get more ammo, and the the gunsmith or whatever the I don't want to just call him a cashier because he's definitely somebody, maybe even the owner. Uh, he looks at the, the round and says that they've been uh, out of com commission. No, they haven't been made since 1903, I guess. And, you know, there's a waiting period for, for uh, a new gun. And then Van Pelt, he drops a uh, like a handful of, you know, what I'm assuming is gold coins. And then uh, he, the the man, he... Uh, signals this woman who you know is probably his wife to go close the door and so he she turns the close sign on and then she brings out this really nice automatic weapon or at least i think it's automatic but um i'm pretty sure it's illegal and he asks uh um well he gives him the gun and van pell's like checking it out you know looking through the scope and stuff like that and then he asks him if he's a postal worker what do you think uh what do you think he meant by by that question a bounty hunter who delivers the mail, which is death? No. Um, okay, so I know uh, because there's an expression called going postal. And m people probably know that it's something like somebody going crazy kind of thing. But they don't really know the history of it. Uh, for those that don't know, um, back in, I want to say maybe in the 80s, I, I, I could be completely wrong. It could have been later or earlier. But there were... Um, I think on many, uh, unfortunately, many occasions that a postal worker would, uh, you know, bring a, a gun to work and, you know, shoot other carriers or their boss or things like that. And so it, this was kind of happening around the country that it became an expression, unfortunately, you know, going postal. So I have a funny story about that. Um, I, I work in the, I, I'm a mail carrier. Okay, I, I don't think that's ever been put out, but for the purposes of the story, I think it's you know kind of important to know I am now a mail carrier. Prior to that, I was shadowing a guy for a, a different kind of job, a sales job, and you know while I'm out in this guy's car, we're driving. He's driving. I'm passenger. Um, I'm you know we're talking about the job a little bit, and I told him, hey, you know, uh, and I didn't preface this with that uh, my in-laws also work at the post office, so I'm telling this guy like, hey. You know, if the sales job doesn't work for me, I think I'm, I'm going to go postal. And then he, he hesitates and he looks at me. He's like, ah, ooh, don't do that. And I'm like, why? I hear they pay well. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I thought that you were you were going to go crazy if this job doesn't work out. And then he told me the story. I was like, huh, I didn't know that. So funny, I mean, not funny, but um, kind of a fun history lesson for you there. 
they get the board game back eventually, and I think uh, Peter hung upside down on a tree or something and was able to get this board that was um, kind of uh, floating down the stream and, and what have you. But uh, Sarah and Judy were pretty happy about it, and they were cheering him on kind of thing, and, and Alan seemed a little uh, unimpressed by it. And they're walking along the road as Carl is driving by, and he buses a Yui, and he stops them. Um, Carl cuffs Alan, and uh, as he is like putting Alan in, I think he's putting Alan into the car, or just cuffing him. Uh, Van Pelt shoots from afar, right? And he's like, you know, basically sniping at him, and then he just misses uh, Alan just by that much. And I think Alan, like, I don't think he saw it, but he senses it somehow because he doesn't look, he doesn't look where the round shot. But um, he does agree to go with Carl just to prevent from getting shot himself. And so while this was going on, Peter was off to the side of the road by himself. And he is, uh, he cheated. <laughs> so basically he had, I think, 10 or 12 spaces left or something. So he had, he had 10 spaces left, so he tried to drop them on a 12. Yeah, and so... Sarah, she was like, oh, so you cheated? He goes, no, I was just trying to drop it. So that way he landed on 12. She goes, oh, okay, honey, yeah, that's cheating. So I just like her delivery there. It was really it was really funny. And because he cheated, he is now turning into a monkey. So in the car, Alan tells Carl who he really is. Um, he says that, uh, you know, well, who he, that he knows who Carl is. He says that people used to call you the soul man, uh, which he's like, oh, he has a soul man. So now he's kind of, you know, metaphorically uh, driving down memory lane. And he is saying how he used to work um, for Parrish. And then Carl says that, oh, yeah, he fired me because of, you know, my shoe kind of ruined the conveyor belt or whatever it was. Yeah, and, and this is when Alan apologizes because uh He's the one that did it, obviously, and Carl didn't know that. And and then this is when he says, "Hey, th it's me." And then we um we cut to the town, and everyone's going crazy. Uh, everyone's kind of looting stores, and we see Peter as a monkey at this point. This makeup does not look good. Looks um pretty bad, actually. What do you think? It looked a lot like Teen Wolf. Well, I think Teen Wolf's was a lot better. It was a lot better, but that's it was like a mini-me Teen Wolf. Yeah. Uh, I could kind of see that with the hair on the face. But yeah, if, if they stuck with the Teen Wolf look, I think he would have looked better as a monkey. Um, but as as they're walking, Sarah, Judy, and Peter, they see uh, three monkeys on a bike. And uh, Sarah even asked Judy you know, what she saw. Uh, and you know, Judy's like, yeah, I saw that too. And she's like, good girl. You know, because the last thing she wants is somebody else to think that she's crazy and, and kind of hallucinating. Um, and then we find out that Van Pelt is after Alan because he is the one that rolled the dice. So what do you think that means? Because I, I have no idea. What do you mean by that? Like, um, just that, that alone, because uh, I think he tells Sarah that he wasn't after her. He's after Alan because he's the one that rolled the dice. The die. What, what do you not get about it? So, Van Pelt is only chasing him just because he just showed up out of nowhere? I mean, he was a boy at the time. Van Pelt is chasing Alan because Alan rolled the die. I'm not aware if Van Pelt knows that he's in a game, but maybe it's because he's being summoned by Alan that that's the reason why he's chasing him. 
Well, and and I I just questioned, um, you know, well why why does that even? Well, if he's rolling a, if Alan's rolling a dice and that's some sort of game, my um, what I was just saying that uh, why is he chasing after Alan? Because Alan was uh, like you know. 12, 13, 14 years old when he showed up in the jungle, but I'm sure Van Pelt hasn't been chasing him since he was a kid, you know, probably just only recently. So uh, I kind of wonder what, what happened um, in the jungle because Van Pelt knows who who Alan is, may, may not know his name, but knows knows who Alan is and knows that he rolled the dice. So all of that, I, I wonder what the backstory is of In the Jungle. I'm curious I would like to see a Jumanji prequel, like Alan's years in Jumanji. I think that would make an interesting movie. I think so. But maybe... It... I, I'd read a fan fiction, <laughs> you know. I would think Alan learned some stuff from Van Pelt, but they went their separate ways over some reason. Yeah, and then started hunting him. I like that. Mm-hmm. That this this could be our, um, you know, what what happened in the jungle, <laughs> instead of what happens after the movie. Well, actually, we could also do the, or just do the what happens after the movie because there's those two kids walking on the beach. Mm-hmm. So uh, they run into Van Pelt, who tries to take the game from them, and the stampede comes through, and Van Pelt was. Uh, able to make off with the game again, and then they follow him to uh, a discount store. So Sarah falls uh, into his trap, and a series of mischief happen. Like, just a bunch of stuff. Um, there, There's one point where what Peter makes something with a raft and uh, oxygen tanks that shoot at Van Pelt. Um, there's a point where he pours, uh, Peter pours... Uh, liquid detergent and Van Pelt walks over it and slips. Um, I don't know. I didn't even write it down just because, like, you know, I, I'd imagine that the people that are listening to this have seen the movie, so they can probably remember. This is a hyped-up version of Home Alone to me. Yeah, I could see that. You know, except for there isn't as many cool, uh, you know, gadgets and stuff like that. It is mainly um, all in the scene, you know, booby traps and stuff like that. Uh, and then we cut to Alan and Carl again. They're driving. Uh, this time, uh, Alan is driving, and Carl is sitting in the passenger seat, uh, handcuffed to the steering wheel. And then in the rearview mirror, Alan sees a uh, traffic cop approaching them. And then Carl's like, "Oh, don't worry, you know, they'll help us up or help us out." And then the motorcycle pulls up to the side of them, and it's the three monkeys from earlier riding on the motorcycle. And the one riding actually has a helmet on but it's covering his eyes. Mm-hmm. So I have a problem with that for obvious reasons. But, you know, it's played for laughs, and I laughed. I had a pretty good chuckle about that. Nora, um, then we see Nora, and she's driving and listening to self-help cassettes, I guess. Um, you know, <laughs> at least I think that's what they were. Uh, but she turns it off and turns on the radio, and she hears the news about what's going on. And I think this is where you said that there were like 96 cases yes, or whatever. Yes, 98. So yeah. 98. So it's so it's gone up at this point. And and then we see the stampede. So so funny enough, she's at a stop, and the uh, adjacent um, roads have the stampede going. So she instead of you know waiting for like trains coming or something, is a stampede. I just thought it was kind of silly. Um, and then I don't know. And then it's follow. It, what's at the very end? Like a rhino. 
Yeah, it's a rhino that's just got tired, so he's just like walking really slowly. Yeah, super winded. Yeah, he even turns to look at her and just keeps on going. Hey, wait for me. Um, but yeah, shortly after, she is scared um, scared by a monkey that was hiding in the back of her vehicle, and she runs off the road. Uh, and then we cut to Sarah, and she is convincing Alan uh, to have a talk with Peter and apologize uh, for how he was earlier. You know, when Peter saved um, saved the game board, uh, and then. I don't know, the, the, the makeup still looks really, really bad. Um, whatever. Um, <laughs> but Alan is talking to Peter, and he, yeah, so he's apologizing, and it's like, God, you know, I was in the jungle for X amount of time, and I still ended up being like my dad, which is kind of a thing, you know. Um, people tend to grow up to be like their dads, and that's funny because growing up, they're like, oh, I don't want to be anything like you. Um, I don't think, like, I ever thought about that with my dad where like, oh I'd never want to be like you kind of thing but as I got older um I started I don't know being like my dad so and and you even pointed out some mannerisms that I do that grandpa does all the time right mm-hmm. like, like the whole pointing thing mm-hmm. I I don't know grew up seeing that so I adapted it I don't know it's it's a cycle we'll see if you end up doing it in in another 10 years or so actually I already started doing it see so you know <laughs> maybe it's just genetics you know uh, so Alan's apologizing for that, and Peter's kind of, kind of whimpering, you know. And Alan thinks that he's crying, whatever. But he tells him, um, basically, his t- he's he's got a tail now, and there's no hole in the back, so it's uh, really uncomfortable. So Alan rips rips him a new hole. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Uh, so we see Carl is heading back to the parish house again, probably for the third time. And he finds Nora um, on the street because, you know, she ran her car off the shoulder. And uh, this big old vine comes from the other side of the vehicle and snaps Carl's car in half. So that vine's pretty darn strong. And then they uh, head over to the house by foot. And again, continuing the game, uh, Judy tells Sarah if she wins, or she will win if she rolls a 12. And then she rolls and she gets a 3. Um, and then the, the, the next set of whatever is, um, is a monsoon, right? So it starts to rain. Then, well, at first, uh, Sarah's like, oh, we're indoors, you know, what's going to happen? And then it starts raining. And then she's like, a little bit of rain is not going to hurt anybody. And then it downpours and then it even like, it starts flooding the house. Um, everybody starts rising to the ceiling. Um, and then in order to stop it, they, they figured, you know, next person will roll, right? So they go back to, um, no, no, they get to the attic. Yes, because that's probably the highest ground they could find. Yeah. After a very uh, big action slash suspensing with huge, gigantic crocodiles. Yeah. Uh, so they go back to uh, playing, and then Alan makes a clue reference. Did you get that reference right away at all? Uh. Not not really, because I didn't hear fully what he said, but I did know that it was a clue reference. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot exactly what he said, too, but I, I knew what it was exactly. And it's funny because, like, the kids, they didn't say anything, but he, the way that he explained, it's, you know, clue. I, now... What, do you know what year clue was made? I don't know uh, when clue was made. Um, I mean, if you want to look it up real quick, I, I, I'll, I'll keep... Um, no, no, it's fine. But he also made a reference to something else. Oh, when was the Twilight Zone made? 
Uh, Twilight Zone is super old, so oh, okay. I mean that's totally possible. I mean Gilligan's Island, that's that's that works. But he has made some pretty weird references that were really out there in the years. Yeah, no, probably shouldn't have seen since he was in the jungle. Yeah, no, and and that that kind of shows that that's you know from his era, um, so that that makes sense. But for me, my and this isn't really an issue. It's just kind of like it, it was um, made me raise my eyebrow a little bit. But just the the fact that he had to explain what the, you know, well, he didn't explain what Clue was, but he was just saying Clue, you know, like, like as if they didn't know what the board game is. But I feel like all my life Clue has always been around. You know, I mean, the movie was made in the 80s, which is still, you know, it still plays on TV sometimes. You haven't watched it yet, right? Clue? Yeah. I watched it with you. Did you? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, see, and that movie was made in the 80s, and uh, I, I just feel that that Clue has been, it has always kind of been relevant. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I feel like these kids, they, they should have known what Clue was. So, you know, I guess it's just more of a nitpick. Um, but so Alan rolls, it was his turn, and then the floor turns into quicksand. Uh, what'd you think of this effect? Did you think it was pretty good? Okay, this effect, yes, I did think it was good. It was a lot better CGI than the other ones. Yeah, and, and this is actually when the next person rolls to, to stop the ground from sinking. So I kind of mistook that, mistook that for the monsoon part. But, um, they were able to stop the quicksand, and now, now, uh, Alan's face is, like, half out of the floor, so I thought that was kind of a cool effect. And then later on, Nora walks in, and then, like, Alan's feet's dangling from the ceilings. He's, like, kicking around. Yeah, so, uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but then Peter rolls, and then you get a bunch of spiders. What do you think of the spiders? I thought they were creepy, and, like, I, I just don't like spiders whatsoever. They're, yeah, it's, they're, they're really, really big, and it's funny because, um, you see, you see, uh, Judy, and then behind her, a spider, a spider literally comes down on its web, a la Spider-Man Part 1, right? So, Mm -hmm. so maybe this inspires her to go and try out for the role of Mary Jane Spider-Man, um, and then to... What? I'm just not kidding why you said Spider-Man earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Alan, who's stuck on the floor, tells Peter to go grab uh, an axe that I guess his dad used to keep in the tool shed. So Peter runs out, and then he is trying to get into the shed, and it's um, clearly locked, right? And so mm-hmm. to break the lock, he grabs an axe next to the shed, and he starts banging on it. And then he pauses, he looks at the axe, and then this is where they break the fourth wall, which was very interesting, but he looks at the camera, he's like, um, I'm trying to get into the shed to get the axe, but I'm holding the axe. So, that was really weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, Nora, Nora comes home, but she, she sees Peter running with the axe, and he's a monkey, and it scares the crap out of her. Um, but yeah, he comes back with the axe, and he's fending off the spiders, and Judy, at this time, she had been shot with a poisonous barb, I think, from the vine. Was it a, uh, sleeping potion, I think? I, I don't, I don't think it's sleeping, I think it was just, you know, some kind of poison that, that probably, um, you know, not knock her out, but made her very weak, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, it shot her immune system kind of thing, that, at least that's what I think, but, um, so Sarah rolls, and the house quakes, uh, the the ground shaking and uh, the house breaks you know in half like right down the middle and then uh, because of this the floor comes apart and then the board game falls down to the floor and then uh, Alan's able to get free and he's swinging on the vines and grabs the board game 
Um, so he opens it up, and before he takes his turn, we hear Van Pelt off screen. He tells him to stand up, and you know he's about to, you know he's got a gun aiming at him, uh, and he has a little talk, and he basically gives him um, a chance to, uh, you know, he says, "Do you have any last words?" And then we get this slow mo of the the die you know, just just rolling under the ground because Alan gets up and he drops the dies, the, the die, and the. I don't think we get to see exactly what the number is, and I don't even think I know how far he was away from, from, you know, from the center. But his token starts to move slowly, obviously, right, to build suspense. And he gets to the center of the board game, and, yeah, so Van Pelt says, any last words? And then he says, Jumanji, basically game over. So it ends everything. Um, Van Pelt's like, huh? Well, he, he fires away anyway. And then Sarah tries to j- jump in front of the bullet, Right? Does she jump in front of it? She tries to. She tries to jump in front of the bullet, and then the bullet stops in mid trajectory, mm-hmm. and then it starts like to dissipate backwards. So it's, I think it's a cool effect. Yeah. Okay, that yeah. was a pretty cool. Effect. Yeah, cool effect. And now you questioned this particular scene, right? Did uh, I? Yeah. Well, uh, I think you were asking. Yes, I did. Uh, you want to ask just in case it's not the same thing? I thought. So my question was. If everything from the Jumanji board came out from the jungle, from the jungle, then how could what's his name Van Pelt Van, Pelt. Van Pelt's newly acquired gun go back with him, bullet and all? Yeah, and and I um that's not something that came from the jungle, so why would it go back with him? Um, I I think it's just gonna go back with him because that's uh that became his belonging now, and. The the weird part, I mean, and this is obviously for, for effect, right? Because he has to shoot it, and it has to stop. So that's going to be the first thing that's going to disappear. Then the stampede and all that, and then Van Pelt last. It, it just looks cooler that way, though it does not make sense. He should be holding it in order to take it back with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I agree with you on that. It just looks cooler this way, and, and it, it it works. Uh, I, I, um, I thought... See, and I had my questions mixed up, but during the movie, you did ask, uh, so as these things show up, are they replacing something that was in the jungle? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a pretty good question. Do you, What do you think? Do you think it's replacing so, uh, something that's actually in the jungle, too? So as something's appearing in our world, something in Jumanji is disappearing. Or do you think it's duplicating from something in Jumanji? Yeah, um... That was a good question I thought of earlier, not to be... I and, and about it. I think it's a very good question, and I think it's replacing something in Jumanji. Because I'd hate to think that there's two Van Pelts, you know, like a duplication, so now him going back into the Jumanji, it just it just disappears. You know, like a, like a parallel version of Van Pelt or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, it's just one. So I think the lion that came in was from there. So so if, if it's taking you forever, if everyone is never getting to that point yet and you have to roll all these times, this jungle could be completely bare. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Imagine. It'd just be the ground. So that's the, that's what just I like to think. Spot. Yeah. But then you also have to think Alan, you know, disappeared into Jumanji. Right. And nothing replaced world, him in yeah, our world. One world with no Alan and one world with Alan. Yeah, see, there you go. So I think we busted that myth. Boom. Okay, so now we go back to 1969, and uh, it's, you know, inside Alan's house. Now, uh, when we go back, we see, what's her face there, right, Sarah? Yep, Sarah okay, so Roman. Yeah, so she didn't leave yet, but but Alan has a, has a little scene with his dad here. He had just 
came back because I guess they forgot the tickets to whatever they were going to, some kind of show, right? So, yeah, his dad mentions that it's only been five minutes, but obviously to Alan, it's been it's 26 years, so he's happy to see his dad again, right? And he's apologizing for, uh, for you know, being rude earlier and yelling at his dad, saying how he didn't want to talk to him or, uh, for, um, or anything like that. And then uh, Alan even, you know, he even tells him that uh, what happened with Carl Bentley, that was his fault. And his dad thanked him for telling him the truth. And then we cut to uh, Alan and Sarah, and they're over at a bridge. And they got the uh, the Jumanji board game tied up to a bunch of rocks, boulders basically. You know, they're pretty big. And they throw it over into the river. Um, Sarah gives Alan a kiss because she says that, you know, she doesn't want to forget how to be an adult or something. And now this is weird. So now she, they're going to have to uh, relive their adult life all over again. Mm-hmm. So now they have all this no, 26 years of knowledge as an adult, which is well, kind of interesting. They're going to forget about it. Yeah. And this kind of what it seems like, too. They said that they were starting to forget what it was like mm-hmm. being an adult. So, yeah. So I guess maybe they're, they're eventually just going to forget. And, and it would just be like, well, but here's the thing. Okay. So after this, uh, now it's present time. It's oh, Christmas. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan's dressed up as Santa Claus. Sarah's pregnant. So obviously they hooked up. You know, they ended up um, together. Uh, Alan has obviously taken over the uh, family business, and I think he hired uh, Peter and Judy's parents um, because um, Sarah was looking out the window and says, "Oh, hey, they're here. They're here." And so, like the you know their mom and dad come in, and then you know you see uh, Peter and Judy show up. Um, so that's why it's like kind of weird now do, I don't know if they are supposed to forget things then, you know, that's part of the game as if like nothing happened, but how do they remember Peter and Judy? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that, so that's kind of a, a bit of a plot hole there, but, um, the parents, they said that they're going to go like on a ski trip or something like that, which, um, Alan and Sarah, you know, kind of shout out no and, you know, they're in the middle of a party, so they kind of get everyone's attention. And they're like, oh, no, you know, we want you to get started on this uh, project or whatever. So that kind of ends. And then we, uh, the movie ends with a shot of the board game on a beach. And I'm not sure if it's France, but there's a couple of kids speaking French. And they're wondering what the, the drumming sounds are. And no, that's it. When you see the game board at the end, it's just buried half deep in the sand. There's no boulders or anything attached to it. I'm wondering where that, what happened to them. Well, I, I, I'd imagine that the, um, the currents in the river, you know, somehow loosen up the boulders and the ropes. So I, I can see it happening. It just maybe not right away. I mean, they're kids. I'm sure Alan wasn't, uh, didn't know how to tie the knot real good. So eventually the, the board would get loose somehow and the currents would carry the board game. And another thing... Don't you think someone should have thought of separating the game pieces? Hmm. I think that'd be a, a good idea, but who knows? I mean, just because how it, you don't get to move it. You you could only choose your own tokens and roll the die. So well, I think if somebody tried to separate it, that it would probably just go back into the board. At the end of the movie, towards the end of it at least, you see Sarah, she picks up the game pieces in her hands. Mm-hmm. You know, she could have easily carried them with her. She could have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, maybe it's the fault of those two boys in the beginning of the movie. So, uh, one thing I read, uh, doing a little bit of research on this movie, uh, Sarah, uh, no, Scarlett Johansson apparently auditioned for the role of Judy. Uh, so, a young Scarlett Johansson could have been uh, in that role. 
who is now part of the Avengers, you know, not Spider-Man. So uh, that's kind of funny. Um, did you know this was based on a book? I, I heard about it, yes. I, I, uh, as I understand that it's uh, really different from the book, and then the two boys at the end of the book are actually the brothers from Zathura. So that's kind of weird. So and and you like reading books, so maybe you check that out. Because whatever it. happened in Zathura happened in real life. Mm-hmm. Oh, I never really thought about that. Yeah. So and and obviously Zathura and Jumanji was written by the same um, same author. So I used to love Zathura. Yeah, that's a good one. I think you own it, right? Or new soon? Maybe. No what, I have no idea what happened. To yeah. It. Okay. Well, that's the uh, the end of our review. Um, I. Um, I don't know exactly what's going to be the next movie re- review we do, but um, uh, as a show. But you and I, I think the next movie, you and I, at least, because I might do some solo ones, you know, just to get some some more episodes out there, uh, maybe on some movies that uh, I don't believe you're quite ready to watch yet. Those kind of things, and you know, maybe do some with uh, some some of the other friends. I have been invited to join a podcast uh, next week, uh, War Machine versus War Horse. So. I'll be doing that. Um, but the next movie I think we'll do, right, Mrs. Doubtfire? Mrs. Doubtfire. All right, so there you go. Mrs. Doubtfire will be the next movie that uh, Phoenix and I will review ourselves. Uh, another thing I wanted to throw out, um, if anyone is is, uh, is interested in The Flash, my brother and I will be covering The Flash once that starts up October 7th, which is on CW. Um, so check us out. It's going to be on Facebook, The Pod Flash. Uh, there's an exclamation point between pod and flash. So that's a great, uh, a group page, not not an actual Facebook page. So, um, so check that out. And um, it's not on iTunes yet, obviously, but uh, just keep on a lookout, and I'll make an official announcement too. Um, so if you want to get a hold of us, if you want to email in, you can do so at hlfpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, please search for us on Stitcher or iTunes. We're on there. On iTunes, please rate and review. We would love to hear feedback. We would love to get those five stars to get the show out. Uh, and also, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, where you can find that at HLF Podcast. So until the next episode, I'm Peter. I'm Phoenix. And we're Hydrate Level 4.